0: everyone. Tonight we're talking about villains in fiction. From my website, Ask Me Anything page, Little Coyote asks, "How do you go about making a villain that is believable enough, believably evil enough, to give the hero a run for their money while still being someone the reader has interest in and wants to read about?" You've set some epic villains loose in your plots, but they don't overshadow the heroes. I suppose I'm looking to make sure my bad guy won't be flat without making him so big that he takes over the story. Here's what I do. I think everybody approaches this a little bit differently. And when it comes to building characters, you you start out using somebody else's process you know somebody else no need to re. no need to entirely reinvent the wheel and then as you grow as a writer and you get um sharper in your craft and you get uh, more comfortable in your craft working with original characters and um creating situations and people and plot around your ideas you get super comfortable and you can kind of tweak and move everything around and make your own process work for you uniquely instead of using somebody else's process. It just kind of works for you, but it's not quite a good fit. When it comes to creating a villain, whether you're working in fan fiction or whether you're working in original fiction, I think in fan fiction, it's actually harder to make someone who was a neutral character or someone who is considered a good guy in canon to be a bad guy, because you're fighting against the canon events and reader perception. So oftentimes um, you have to pick um, part of their character that is off-putting, because nobody is perfect. And so there's always some flaw in your character that you can exploit, in fan fiction and and kind of shift them, and turn them just a little, just enough where they're the bad guy, but not so much where they no longer fit, they no longer look like themselves as they were in canon. Like, when I did Ties That Bind, and I was trying to figure out who was going to be Rodney's ex-wife, I knew that realistically that it could not be Jennifer Keller because number one, she was too young. Um, number two, she didn't have the personal power to um to put McKay in a position like that. So it had to be a strong canon female character for the ex wife. And um I I almost went in an entirely different direction because I almost picked um Janet Frazier to be his ex wife. And I can just hear the phantom exploding in the background. Ah oh my god, I can't believe you almost did that. But I almost did. And I but I, I ended up going with Sam because she was um easier to turn than Janet. Sam's character has an under um pinning of arrogance. Uh, throughout the series. She's a very arrogant woman. She's also very smart. And it's easy to turn that arrogance just enough where it's really, really ugly. And you translate that arrogance from her professional life into her personal life, especially in a situation where you have dynamic and she's um, presenting herself as a dom. You, it's It's very easy to create a dynamic where she's not... Um, she is who she is and she's recognizable from canon but you're also seeing one of her major flaws exploited and that's her arrogance so exploiting a flaw in a canon character is a really good way to kind of turn them and make them the bad guy uh, Jennifer Keller's um, indiscretion is canon and it is so easy to turn that her terrible terrible ethics Um, as a doctor on its ear and make that the the event by which you can kind of shift her character around into a situation where she's not um, someone you want to be around. You know, because Essex especially as a doctor are uh, your bread and butter. With Someone like John Shepard, it would be really easy to kind of shift him into an anti hero role because he's kind of like really blank in canon. So you can move him around and shift his actions and redefine his canon, his motivations for canon events, and make him someone like. I made him an in invisible repercussions where um, he uh, kills a, a man under his command because he because he doesn't want him getting away with a rape. So it's really easy to see John doing that if you just kind of shift him just a little. Now, when it comes to creating a bad guy from scratch, what I I always do. And no, no matter how fantastical my hero's motivations may be, whether he wants to literally save the world, my villain's actions and desires and his main goals and his motivations are always grounded deep in reality because that's what makes them scary. One of the reasons why Voldemort, which, by the way, did you guys hear that we've been saying it wrong for the past two decades or ever how long it's been out? Apparently that T is silent. Why didn't you French people tell us that the T was silent? Come on now. Where were you, France, when we needed you to tell us that the T was silent? And I guess it's Voldemort instead of Voldemort. Anyways. Anyways. Um, the reason that um, Tom Riddle is so scary is that beyond his fantastic circumstances and his resurrection uh, and the magic, his goals are deeply rooted in reality. You can see men and women all over the planet acting out Tom Riddle's um, desires for his magical society, um, Hitler being the obvious one, but there, but genocide and racial cleansing and um, ethnic cleansing and all these things take place every fucking day on our planet. So it made Tom Riddle and his his cause deeply concerning to you as the reader because his his goals his motivations were all deeply were very 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 strongly. Connected to reality. So when you're building a bad guy, you want to sometimes humanize his actions and desires more than you do anybody else's. Because your hero's goal can be to save the world. But if you give your villain such an epic... Goal in return, like to say, take over the world or dominate the entire world, then you create a situation that can quickly become laughable, because world domination um, is a pipe dream. It is difficult to for your, for your reader to to really wrap their mind around that and take that seriously. So, for someone like Tom Riddle. He wasn't. His his main goal wasn't to take over the world. He wanted to control his little spot of it. He wanted. Now, granted, I think eventually his egomania would have gotten out of control, and he would have spread into Europe, and then you know, as Hitler did, tried to spread all over the planet. But he would have ended up creating allies with like-minded leaders. Much like Hitler did in World War II, so for someone, a single character to want to literally take over the planet, um, it's it's terribly unrealistic, and it and it becomes laughable. Like Senna said in the chat room just now, "Shades of Doctor Evil." I just put my pinky to my mouth. Who else did it with me? Okay, I'm serious. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You have to um ground your bad guy in reality. When I was writing Ties That Bind, um Sam Carter was my first um bad guy, so to speak. And then I moved on from her because I never I'm not a Sam Carter basher by nature, so I I wanted to move beyond um Rodney's marriage as quickly and as realistically as I possibly could. And so, um, Kevin Jordan enters the picture and Kevin Jordan's motivations are really base and ugly. He is um someone who's been corrupted by his his um environment and um how he was raised and he um seeks to dominate practically everyone in his sphere and he um derives his power by with cruelty and by dominating others. And that's why when he's on trial in Singapore, he assigns motivations to John that he himself has. He sees a monster in John because that's all he can see out of his own monstrosity. I mean, he is, he's literally a monster. And so he sees monsters in everyone you're either weak or you're just like him so he sees in john um all of his own greed and avarice and um just one thing after another and that's why he's his response to john was so negative because um beyond just being generally jealous he saw everything he wanted to be magnified in john and then you throw a bout of xenophobia on top of that because of John's alien DNA, and it creates an entirely different situation. Because uh, cause ter- if terrible or not, it's really easy to make a bigot. And in some ways, it can almost be a crutch when you're writing and creating a bad guy to make someone a bigot. Because bigotry is so easy for everyone to understand because everyone has encountered or experienced or witnessed some form of bigotry, whether it be sexism or racism or homophobia or just, you know, transphobia. Everyone's had an experience where they can say, okay, I I know what this dude's about. So, it makes it really easy for your reader to understand exactly why your bad guy's an asshole. Because you have to make that clear, unless you're going the anti hero route. When you're building a bad guy, while you want your reader to understand where they're coming from and you want their motivations to be clear and, and grounded in reality, you don't ever want your reader to sympathize with them. When your reader sympathizes with the bad guy, you've lost the plot. And you've got a problem. There is a prime example of that in the Marvel movie universe. Can you raise your hand if you honestly would have preferred Loki to have won? My hand's over here raised. You you learn so much about Loki and his the situation that he's in and you feel the betrayal after betrayal after betrayal that he goes through and Thor is arrogant and he's it's so easy to sympathize with Loki and it's not just because Tom Hiddleston is beautiful it's because Loki is um, over and over again a victim. He's a victim of Odin and he's a victim of Thor. And so when he acts out, you totally understand where he's coming from. And you start to root for him. So when you're building a bad guy, while you want your reader to understand their motivations, you never, ever want them to sympathize with your bad guy. At the end of Thor: Dark World, this is a spoiler for those of you who have not seen this. Skip 30 seconds and the, you, put your headphones down. When the camera pans and you see that it's actually Loki, Odin. Did you? I did in the theater. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was so in for that. I was so in. Oh. Because you you genuinely sympathize with um with Loki, uh, I'm getting an audio thing from you from you guys in the chat room. There is a message on my board that says blog um blog talk is um experiencing uh issues with um their host lines and their number lines, so I'm not sure if you guys can still hear me or not. I hope so. Is it just skipping? Um, So, but yeah, so they're experiencing some problems, so uh, that's just something we'll have to work around. Um, Now, I have a brand new headset. I have a USB headset that goes into my computer. I can't go anywhere, which is unfortunate, but I did go pee before I got on the show. Now, Loki acts out in some really terrible ways, both in Thor and in Dark World, and especially in, in, in Avengers. And so, <laughs> it's skipped only during the spoiler. That is so funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh. <sighs> but um it become you know so like i said you know you don't want your reader to sympathize with your bad guy their actions need to be rooted in reality so that um your reader has uh, a a chance to relate to them but in a way that's not um, like a friendly relation. It's like a uh, I wouldn't bow down to any man. Someone asked in the chat room if he was the only one that would bow down to Loki. I would not bow to anyone except maybe the Queen of England, just because it's she's old and she expects it, but I, but it wouldn't be sincere because I'm not British. It would be like a, oh, okay, cute little old queen woman. Here you go. <laughs> but it wouldn't be like a worshipful thing because I don't do that. Um, uh. <laughs> Loki is a crazy bag of cats. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston is beautiful. That's a whole new different conversation. Uh, But uh, it... So, I guess my main point about villains is that you have to make them real. No matter how... Fantastical, the rest of your circumstances are in your story, whether there's magic or aliens one of the one of the reasons why the Gaul were such awesome villains is because you understood their greed and their power hungry, and they were just power hungry and beyond their alien circumstances, they had a lot of largely human motivations that you could understand, not. Appreciate, but you could definitely understand them, whereas the ori in their whole supernatural existence and their their mania for, for worship um was difficult to understand it was dis- i mean it was difficult to relate to, so therefore, as a villain, but they weren't nearly as interesting or exciting to me. As the Ga'ul. and my favorite Ga'ul was Apophis, and I really hated when he died. Oh, I was so upset when they killed Apophis. I was like, Oh no, not my Poppy Grande! That's what I always called him, Poppy Grande, because he was so fucking off the charts. He, his drama was like a plus twenty. It was great. <laughs> I fucking loved him. And then you know, see, he was a villain. They had to take him out. With a fucking re-entry in a ship. I mean, that was amazing. Replicators everywhere. He went down like a boss. But, you know, the aura, they just pushed a button. I didn't like Anubis. I thought Anubis was smug and arrogant, which I guess is the point. But, um, and Ball tortured Jack O'Neill, and I have a problem with that. I have a problem with Ball. I mean, the actor who played him was beautiful. But, um, for me, my my favorite goal was Poppy. Poppy Grande, he was my favorite. Um, I actually at one time had a uh, one of those little beta fish, a little, little red one. I had him on my desk at work, and I and I and I called him Apophis, and I made everybody refer to him as Lord Apophis <laughs> when they would <was, laughs> when they were talking about. I was like, oh no no, it's Lord Apophis. <laughs> you get that right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not right, Senna. I, I, I can't even repeat what you just said in the chat room. Um. Oh, you mean... Because I'm talking about Gaul and Stargate, and you're talking about Thor and Himdall and I was not getting the same visuals that you were getting. Because I was thinking of a much different Thor, and I'm like, what the fuck do you mean Thor was hot? Come on, Thor was not hot. He was a little gray... See, I got, the, we we were past that. We were past the MCU. We were in Stargate. <laughs> oh my, what the fuck? <laughs> he doesn't have a dick. And you really, and I stand by it, you cannot trust a species that clone their own dicks off. You can't trust it. There's no trusting that. So, when you're building your villain profile, um, you need to know as much about your villain as you do your hero, even if you never reveal this information to your reader. We didn't find out Tom Riddle's um, histories, you know, little little antidotes at once. We we found out a little little bit at a time just how... um, fucked up his childhood was just fucked. Just how fucked up his um, conception was and his mother and his mother's family and his father being a muggle all this was discovered over time and it, I think that if it had all been info dumped on you in the very beginning of, of Harry Potter it would have changed how you felt about Tom Riddle um, from the very beginning So while you want to humanize your villain and create a rich back history for them, you don't want your reader to sympathize with them. Cuz it creates a situation um where you <clears throat> your reader is going to be very unhappy. Your story won't be satisfying. Um, you won't, uh, there won't be any closure. Because in the end, no matter who wins, whether your bad guy wins or your hero wins, it's a dick move on either, On in, in, in either way, it becomes a dick move. Because you've created your hero, who your reader hopefully likes, and then you have your villain, which you're, reader is over-sympathizing with, and so it turns your hero into a bully if he wins, and then if the villain wins and everything goes to shit, like your reader's like, oh, fuck. I had no idea this book was going to end with an apocalypse. So, either way, you're fucked. You're fucked. Super important not to cross that line. How do you not cross that line? Don't cast Tom Hiddleston as a villain in your story. Take that to the bank. Marvel, are you listening, Marvel? Not that we don't appreciate Loki. We do. But you might have made a mistake. <laughs> and that's really all I have to say about that. I want you guys to have a great evening. I don't know what we're going to talk about tomorrow, but it'll be two hours of mayhem Etc. Hopefully the blog talk will have fixed their issues with their lines, and there won't be any popping um, and all that jazz. And uh, could be porn. Who knows? Sina's gonna call in tomorrow. Okay, Sina, you can be my guest. You guys heard that, right? Sina's gonna call in tomorrow. You guys have a great evening.